and welcome to today's show. I'm Shabal Race, your host, um, and welcome to the Perusia podcast. I'm very excited about today's guest. Um, this this person that I'm about to interview is was was also a director at uh, the TAB Institute for a while there, um, and he's the founder of Joyfield Marriage. and And so this is an exciting initiative that's going to really put back uh, the love, the importance of marriage and family life. He's none other than the one and only Damon Owens, and he is from America, joining us live. Hello, Damon. Charbel, what a great grace to be with you. I thank the technology that brings yes. the world together like this. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much for joining us uh, live. On the, uh, you must be busy preparing for um, the summit only, only next week. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I've been a speaker for well, the past 27 years. I've been a host like three times. So it's a whole different world bringing together my peers and new people for this Catholic Marriage Summit. But um, uh, we've caught a tiger by the tail with this. The interest and the excitement around it really just already exceeded what my team uh, expected. So God is good. Praise God. Praise God. How many um, uh, uh, couples uh, are there that are going to be presenting uh, at this summit? Yeah, we've got 63 confirmed, and I've wow. got some big, a couple of more big asks out there uh, on some really key topics. And really, one of the beautiful things about the Catholic Marriage Summit is that we're, we're really attentive to the topics themselves, that um, there's always a certain, we say a certain celebrity, you know, you want to see certain names, you want to attract people to come to it, and we can't avoid that. But the actual experience of the attendees, free conference, uh, will be couple to couple, heart to heart you know, a glimpse into the marriages of people that you know or may not know, but for all of them, it'll be insight into either your anticipated marriage, the marriage you have, or uh, really just why marriage is so beautiful and powerful. We're super excited. My <laughs> wife, uh, Melanie, and I have been married for 27 years, 1993, wow. and we are blessed with uh, eight children. Uh, eight seven children? Girls and a boy. Yeah, no, that's what I say is I've, I've got all boys except the first seven. So... Uh, <laughs> Just the way you look at the world. I've used that for a long time. It, it tells a lot. But my oldest just got married in October, which was a great grace for us. Congratulations. My youngest son at nine. So from 23 to nine. Um, I was a, I'm actually an engineer, recovering engineer by training mechanical. Worked in the telecommunications world and the cellular technology world and went full-time in the ministry after about nine years part-time. I went full-time in 2002. I actually had my own engineering company, sold that because I really felt, um, I wonder if I was exhausted to go back to corporate. You know, it was a sort of an initial public offering type startup company and we did really well, but it's just to get back into it, I had no heart. And the wow. thing I loved to do was really to, to, to speak about Jesus Christ. And about That's a big, bold move. Um, it is, it was big, bold, hairy move because there was no, I mean, in 2002, there was nobody I knew that was really doing it. I mean, I'd heard of Matthew Kelly and I heard of, you know, a few other people, but back then there were not many lay Catholic uh, missionaries or evangelists. So it wasn't something I was aspiring to. It really was a personal call that said, I, I'm, I give us joy here. Uh, it's helped my marriage, whether it's promoting natural family planning or, um, you know, just church's teachings on sexuality. And this was before I even heard of theology of the body. It took that year oh, wow. when I went full time was the first time someone literally handed me a Christopher West cassette tape. Yes, I, said I remember those those yeah. things. <laughs> you got to wind them up. <laughs> you, exactly, with the pencil. If you use the yeah. pencil to wind those up. Sorry for all your young buck listeners, but uh, there was a time when you actually had to rewind things. And yeah. uh, I had that tape and I put it into the, my, my car and I heard what 
he had done. I didn't know Christopher at the time, didn't know anything about him. Uh, and in 42 minutes, which was the length of those things, he was able to penetrate some of the most beautiful truths about love, marriage, sexuality, masculinity, wow. femininity. It was one of those. And I, this is my, this was my world that I was just entranced by. And I was like, who is this guy? What is this theology of the body? And, and it's just been a beautiful ride then. He's one of my best friends now. Uh, and, uh, you know, we spent some good time together at the Theology Body Institute where I served as executive director. He was the chief programmer and the chief teacher. And, and I forgot the title we had for him, um, something about anthropology and Christian something, but he was basically the, you know, the faculty uh, head there teaching our week long courses. So ministry has been uh, joined the Theology Body Institute in 2011 and was there for the for five years, the first executive director. And that's when I left to go back into direct ministry, first with Joy to Be, J-O-Y-T-O-B, and now with Joyful Ever After, which really is the, a more maturing incarnation, if you will, of this service of couples and marriage. And our launch will be at the Catholic Marriage Summit uh, next week, June, June 11th. So super excited. No, it was, it was um, I look back even reflecting on it, trying to be honest about it. There was some terror that was involved, but then like most things with the Lord, there's always this, this, um, this consolation, this sense, this real knowing that this is what you're supposed to be doing. And he, he God's been very tender with me. You know, control is one of my issues. Pride is another one. And the years leading up to this decision were in a certain sense, a number of no's. I mean, I remember 1996, uh, really feeling this new call to teach and to enter the ministry. I was on this ascent corporate-wise with work, and it was just like, okay, well, maybe I can still make all this money and, and have this prestige and still do this on the weekends. And I remember sort of negotiating with God in 96. Uh, so by the time 2001 and two came around, I had already experienced enough corporate life. I had experienced enough of chasing, you know, quarter to quarter, you know, um, stock options and salary and all that stuff and even running my own company so i felt like uh, doing it more was really a cop out and and it's almost like the lord just was, he was waiting and when i made the decision and melanie my wife actually was mrs key she actually was more excited about it than i was and this is a mom of this is 2002 so we're, we had six years of kids we had five kids under six wow wow and she's looking at me like well it's about time you know, like you need to be doing this. This is exactly what, and I was like, really? Well, what about, you know, the regular salary and about the, the kids? And she was like, God's going to work it out. So I, I honestly have a faithful wife That's and amazing. I was terrified. And part of it was money. The other part really was just um, identity. You know, I had built this identity of the you know, previous nine, 10 years of this engineer. I went to, you know, Ivy League schools. I had this degrees. I went to this prestigious company and you know, because I mean, all this was like this this junk that I had attached really a lot to my own identity. So when I left, I'm like, well, who am I now? I was actually saying that for like the first year. Wow. Like, I'm not going to call myself a Catholic speaker. What is that? I'm not an evangelist because I'm Catholic. Catholics don't evangelize. You know, that was that was, <laughs> that was the the warped mindset in my head. Like, I got to figure out who I am. And uh, it it took a while. It took a while, and we struggled for years. Financially, we struggled in the ministry, and but again, there was this consolation that we knew we were doing what we we're supposed to be doing, and that really helped us to to persevere. That's the word, persevere. Fantastic! I'm very excited to see this. Uh, and what's the goal? What What do you hope to um, 
to, to do with, with this ministry moving forward? What is, the, what is your ultimate goal and purpose for this, for this um, ministry? Yeah, so this very much is, is a, I don't want to say culmination, but it's a, it's a coming together of what ministry has been literally for 27 years, taking the beauty and the goodness and truth of what our faith understands about marriage, making it um, knowable, making it um, operable, like we can actually live this, and then allowing the truth of marriage and the reality of marriage to really form us into saints. It's a, it's a sanctification school, and that sounds so lofty. It sounds so you know, non-real. It's not realistic to talk about it, but that's the exact reason that Joyful Ever After is, um, is, is focused on this. In particular, we believe that marriage should be lived in community, trusted small group community, that the demands, the realities of marriage, the realities of our culture right now have really disconnected us. And it's maybe a little different um, in Australia and some places where we live, but I think there's a, there's a commonality across our modern culture that our marriages and families are very much isolated, even the good ones. And we've lost that connection intergenerationally. We've lost that connection in a communal way where we actually trust one another and we live and we can, we can move uh, in these relationships and not just feel like we have to live in an isolated way. So trusted communities is the key pillar. The second key pillar of uh, Joyful Ever After is that we all have a story. And there's a, there's a beautiful intentionality of our, of our relationship to stay in contact with that story that's still being written. Where did you meet? How did you come into your marriage? What were the dreams and the hopes that you had when you met? What was the marriage? In fact, the subtitle of the ministry is, it's Joyful Ever After, Getting the Marriage You Want from the Marriage That You Have. Wow, very nice. So if, if there's a promise in there, there's a hope in there that says, you got, you married for a reason, you know, however in the natural, however spontaneous, whatever it was, there's some reason. There was a hope and a dream about what this marriage would be. And nearly all of us are disappointed. There's you know, the, dealing with the disappointment of um, you know, broken expectations, either from ourselves or from our spouse, from situations, circumstances, uh, loss of our faith, maybe, money, uh, sexual intimacy, you know, name all the important things, parenting, health issues, um, all these marriage, because it's a school of love, using the language of our church, there's so much that has to be learned and not just intellectually, but learned in the heart through experience and encounter. So we experience things and then we struggle to understand what did that experience actually mean? And marriage as that primordial school, that first order school says that this union of man and woman from the beginning that existed before the church, that existed before government, that it's, it's, prim it's primordial to the human person is in and of itself the place where we form to become the saint that God wants us to be. And sanctity is not some otherworldly. It literally becomes fully human. It means be, to be fully human. And we can say that with confidence because of Genesis 127, that we're made in the image and likeness of God. So to be fully human is actually a path to divinity. It's divinization in, a, in, a, in an image and likeness of God that ends in the marriage of Christ, the bridegroom, and the bride in Revelation, where we literally can become bone and bone, flesh and flesh union with the second person of the Trinity. This is so, there's yeah. a lot you just just said there that we need to unpack <laughs> no, <sorry>. because <laughs> that's 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 powerful. Um, where do we begin? Or what you just said there? Um, look, this there's a huge misunderstanding of what marriage is today, and what you you basically have just done a, a very quick overview, which was quite nice. Um, I think I want to dive in a bit here um, and give people more of an understanding. But you know, <laughs> unfortunately, today, what's the reality we're living in? 
I think we've, we do need to rediscover what marriage is. We, we, many people have jumped into it. Yeah, I, I have a, I'm, this just causes so much uh, emotion and energy in me, not anger, really. I mean, this is the heart of what the marriage preparation work for years, Melanie and I were involved in, in natural family planning instruction and marriage enrichment. This is, this is what you just described is exactly what's been happening, at least in our short time in full-time in ministry. So here, here's my take on it. There's a reality of what marriage is. And that reality of what marriage is endures regardless of any kind of government, redefinition of a church in error, not ours, but of any religion, of any culture or any time. There is a reality about what marriage is. And I can say that with confidence because we can look at what is revealed in creation. Uh, that's not a, a religious statement to say that marriage is the union of a man and a woman really around sex. In, in Catholic language, my language of the Catholic faith, uh, marriage is essentially the sacrament of sex. Now, that doesn't mean sexual activity and behavior, although it's a great part of it. First and foremost, it's the sacrament of being made male and female. This okay. is why marriage preceded the church. It's why it precedes religion and government, because in the beginning, God created male and female. And that distinction is a distinction, not just a difference from, but we can see an experience that it's a difference for. That together, a man and a woman can become something. So the natural union of the man and the woman, we would call that sexual attraction, has a sexual desire, which leads to a sexual union, which has the capacity to create new life. That's that's not a religious statement. That is, that's a human understanding of of the reality being made male female. We're dimorphic creatures that our, our sexual difference can come together. And if you want to get really biological, it has the capacity to create a new system, a reproductive, we would say procreative, but a reproductive system that neither one on their own has. We've got a nervous system. We've got a digestive system. We've got a vascular system. We've got all these systems that are complete, but our reproductive system is by, by design and by creation and consistently only half of what's needed in the total system. You need the female and the male to come together and together it actually creates a new system that didn't exist in isolation and solitude. So you can see the union of two becoming one flesh in biblical poetry, in biology or in physiology or reproduction, it becomes a new being that actually can exist on its own. And God willing, in nine months, you have to name it. So that biological reality of sexual difference, sexual union, and new life is where marriage and family come in. And we're still in the natural. And what we've lost today is this connection between the, the sensible, the material, the, the, the ability to see reality, what they call the theory of correspondence, that we can correspond ideas with physical senses, see, smell, hear, taste, touch. And we try to create things in our mind and we really believe that um, what we think can create reality. Now, I know I'm going off a little bit, but I want to I want to answer no, your question. Yeah, that that we have a problem with marriage precisely because we have a problem with with reality, the created world, and there's a false sense that we can actually create as opposed to receive, that we can control instead of accept. So the acceptance of marriage says that because of sexual difference, sexual union, the capacity to create new life, that new child is completely dependent and at various levels of independence that happen over the next 24 years. And I say 24 because that's how long the brain develops from okay. the base of the brain to the prefrontal cortex. So, and, and in those decades, it's not as if you're just learning information, right? 
All these relationships, being a son, being a daughter, being a brother, being a friend, these relational experiences actually mature. And you can trace this now with the new neurobiology, the way that they're able to look at active uh, MRI scans and see affective maturity manifesting in the brain. The the, the, the unity between science and faith has never been closer, regardless of the protests of, of, of the atheists and others. So we know that you need 24, just let's say 30 years to fully mature as a person. This is why the family exists. This is, this is about the permanency of marriage in the natural. That to simply, the, the, the wife is fully committed. She's there at every birth, right? By, by biology, biology makes sure that the mom's there for every birth, right? But not for the man. What, what, what ensures or calls that the man who called into existence this life in that sexual act 268 days plus or minus 10 earlier was going to be around not only for the birth, but around for those 24 years of formation of this new child that he brought into the world. And the answer is the cultural expectation that fathers will raise their children. So you see these natural things, whether they're in tribes, the aboriginal tribes, or whether they're in these, you know, so-called first world cities, the human person recognizes there's consequences. So understanding marriage now has taken a no whole nother turn that says, Marriage is not about any sensible reality as much as it is about the affective, the affection, the needs, the desires of the adults and the public approval of it. Now, I'm not taking a left-hand slap just that you have the same-sex marriage arguments. That is a later fulfillment of what we were already broken with, with no-fault divorce from the 70s, with um, you know the plummeting um, marriage rates you know, earlier than that. So there's a cultural problem with recognizing marriage as the foundation of all culture, because this is where the human person in the first two decades learns identity, the relationship, and vocation or mission. And then you launch them into the world. So marriage problem now is not a crisis to wring our hands. It's an opportunity for us to proclaim Jesus Christ. And in the Catholic Marriage Summit, of course, is to show what this looks like in its mess, in its beautiful mess, as my friend Bill Dunahy always says, about the family and marriage, right? And to hear from couples, no, it's not easy just because we believe in Jesus Christ, not because we're faithful to the magisterium of the church. That just means we're in it and we've got the tools to help our marriages not fail. And we need each other in community for that encouragement, for the wisdom, and for mentorship. And that, again, is the, the pillars of Joyful Ever After. It is by design, isn't it? This is not you making up an opinion. This is this is just reality. It is, and and notice, Charbel, that it's 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 about accepting what is as opposed to learning about what is so that you can change mm-hmm. and manipulate. That's a that's a modern posture that goes way beyond marriage, goes beyond sex. It's it's the human mindset that we want to understand how nature works so that we can then dominate it. And we don't realize that's new. That that whole scientism is barely 300 years old. So in human history, this is a new take that we have, that our exercise of dominion from Genesis 1 has now devolved into an exercise of domination, that we're not stewards of creation and receiving, but now we're the arbiters of what is and what is not. And it makes perfect sense that we're going to control everything from, you know, the weather to, you know, lights and dark and to heat and cold. Why not control my own body? Maybe I, I can make myself male or female. I can decide whether my relationship is, and I'm not like in light of gender dysphoria, not at oh, all. Sure. I, I do quite a bit of work with great respect. 
for those who are suffering with them. My issue is with the advocates who try to take the experience of a gender dysphoria or identity disorder and now cast a whole different anthropology on the human person. Therefore, there's no such thing as male, female, because some people have either genetic or have some you know, a psychological disconnect and discomfort with that. That's a, this is all connected and it's connected by our posture to God. Or let's put it in the, in the, in the words of, of our American uh, declaration of independence, that of, of nature and of nature's God, that either we receive from nature and nature's God, what is, or we have this false sense that we can somehow uh, self create. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Interesting. How do we, particularly as Christians and Catholic Christians, uh, bring meaning to the experience of love? We, we grow, those physiological changes, our body starts to change with puberty, menarche for girls, puberty, you know, um, uh, development for boys, the sexual desires, attractions, the desire for sexual union, uh, the decision for friendship, and then the special friendship of marriage. And then, as you said, this intimacy that can literally, as you used to say in the, in the vows, forsake all others right Amazing. um we the meaning that we assign to that this is what helps distinguish us from the rest of the world god has given us a meaning for this and part of our baptism part of the elevation the raising of our dignity in our humanity does not just erasing of original sin but baptism enters us into a priesthood and it's a small p priesthood compared to our clerical vow priesthood, but it is, a, it is a deeply noble priesthood. If you understand priesthood as mediation, and we mediate between God and creation, between the nat- supernatural and the natural, meaning that as priests, our whole being from our whole person, our whole raison d'etre, reason for being from baptism is to bring God in all of his reality, particularly life and love, and make it fully present into the world. So the, the, the posture we have between God and man is one of always drawing what is a good, true, and beautiful from God and being Christ to the world, following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. This is also how we see ourselves, that being made male, in my case, being made female, that the body itself is capable of transmitting into this visible reality of the world, the invisible mystery hidden in God eternal. That's almost a direct quote from the theology of the body, Pope St. John Paul II's teaching. He says the body, in fact, only the body, is capable of transmitting into the visible reality of the world the invisible mystery hidden in God eternal and thus be a sign of it. When you you let that weigh the gravitas, you see, wait a minute, not just what I do, but I as a person am meant to be mediator between God and man. This is why Paul says in, in Christ, be, to be Christ, you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and Paul says that, you know, about the different parts of the body and, and all the, but there's only one Christ. There's only one body. So when we become the body of Christ and he is the head, then we are Christ to the world. This is the lens to understand sexual identity. God made us male for a reason, made him female for a reason to exercise the priesthood in that unique, unrepeatable way. When our emotions call us to, or we, or with our, our, our knowledge and our will, we choose to be this mediator of God, to be in friendship, to love, to forgive, to, um, to exercise a mercy, to give people more than just justice, 
not just what they're due, but to give them more than what they're due. We're exercising this priesthood and it flows right into the vocation of marriage. So we marry not just because of our desires, because of our attraction. Those are beautiful, but those are the fruits. Those aren't the purpose. And we get the fruits only when we follow the purpose. So I call it a sexual stewardship. That there's a stewardship. We're not the owners of the vineyard. We're stewards in, in, in the person of the vineyard, of the vineyard owner. So we take our sexual desires, our sexual power of life and love, and we order it as Christ. And there's joy and there's ecstasy and there's pleasure, all those, those fruits that come out of love. But if we lose that stewardship and we start to think we're the owner, then we want to change things. We want to contracept. We want to, you know, we want to sterilize. We want, um, you know, to demand our immediate sexual pleasure. We start to think that, wow, if I don't receive this, I'm somehow going to be less human. So the answer through all of this and the lens to understand our sexual desire, our sexual formation, our sexual maturity, our sexual decision, and marriage as the sacrament of sex is to acknowledge this priesthood that we are meant to be Christ first to our spouse and to allow our spouse to be Christ to us. That's a whole other order of marriage than the non-baptized non-believer would even begin to accept. Interestingly, um, the tide has changed. The, the discussion has changed. And again, I'm, I'm not old, but I mean, I was doing this thing back in the 90s. And the 90s was very much the discussion on contraception was as contentious as this discussion on gender is now. Yeah, so it was much more, much more combative back then, especially with natural family planning and speaking about the distinction. So here, here's the issue. And I want to be very, very open and blunt about this, as I always am. Contraception is genius. I mean, as far as human like de, de, um, you know, invention, if there were no Jesus Christ, God forbid, if there were no Jesus Christ, contraception would be brilliant. It, it's just it's 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 like lights in the dark, so we don't have to go to bed at, at sundown. You know, it's it's this other exercise of human ingenuity to solve what we think is a problem. Let's be honest, if contraception is genius. If there were no Jesus Christ, if there was no revelation from God about this stewardship. If we were the owner of the vineyard and not just the steward of the vineyard, contraception, sterilization, abortion, uh, surrogacy, I mean, all these things would make perfect sense because we're exercising what we believe we own. You said it, that it, me, me, me. And nobody wants, everyone wants to be called selfish, even the one who lives a very comfortable life and, and, and takes care of themselves. I'm not selfish. We, are, we know internally that's really bad. I'm not selfish. I take care of myself. You know, this self-care. Yes. <laughs> but I'm not selfish. I mean, I, you know, I, whatever. You, you said that. But the bottom line is that there is an ethos. There's an inner heart. There's an inner movement that we either believe that God is, and he is the creator, the owner, and father of us. And that Jesus Christ came to reconcile us back to the father in a way we could never on our own. And we order everything along that. And there are things the church teaches we don't understand. There's things we think are, are dumb that just don't make sense that they could just tweak a little bit because every once in a while that whole control thing comes up and we think we can craft our own reality but in receiving from god god established the church we just celebrated pentecost as catholics this is where the church began with the holy spirit first the breath of jesus and then the holy spirit himself came actually the church began right from the side of jesus with the blood and water that came down so there's a definitive beginning of where Christ has established authority 
of who will determine Vader's best based on faith and morals, what is good, true, and beautiful. And our baptism, our creed at every Sunday, our profession of faith, um, the, you know, the, the baptism or confirmation, we just did that on Sunday with some new uh, candidates in the church. We're constantly professing, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, right? So contraception is one of those obedience questions, not of blindness, not of, of slavishness, but obedience is, is on the order of charity. It's love. It says, dad, I don't know, understand. I don't understand this. I don't agree with this. I don't like this, but you're my dad. And whatever you're giving me is going to be for my own good. Someday I'll understand. It. That's obedience. Obedience isn't pulling out the belt saying, you're going to do this because I'm your dad. You're going to do this because I'm the authority of the church. That's, that's a, that's a deformity. So contraception can only be understood in light of obedience and charity. You're not going to find it definitively in scriptures. You're not going to find it in any argument that does not include Jesus Christ. So we need to be at peace here that if we look at everything that we receive from the church, which is, I see this a lot. And there's this one area where we're like, you know what? Church needs to get out of my bedroom. The posture should be, why do I trust the church in all of these things? And not this one or maybe two things. Maybe there's something I need to grow in. Maybe I need to check my heart in terms of my love. But bottom line, contraception is a direct attack on marriage. It's a direct attack on love. It is an additional act on top of the sexual act in order to render that act sterile. So it's not just a, a decision to postpone. You're, you're deforming the sexual act in order to get an end that you want. The moral question really isn't about the end. It's not, it's not a tedious argument that it's bad because you don't have children. The argument is the means. How you did that just violated your marriage vow. It violated your stewardship of your sexuality with life and love. And it violated the promise of love that you made to each other as husband and wife. This is why the church speaks definitively about marriage, of the contraception being objectively sinful. It is always matter, grave matter for mortal sin. There's no reconciling with this. And I, I don't want to take, I don't, I'm check my time with you here, but contraception is a subset of birth control. Not the same thing. Birth control is wider than it's contraception. And it's not the widest, which is family planning. We actually promise at the altar, right, to accept children that God may bless us with and raise them in the knowledge of the Lord and his church. Family planning is part of the promise that we make at the altar. There are some birth controls that are good and some that are bad. The bad ones are called contraception, literally contraceptives, an act against the beginning of life. So in order to contracept, you have to engage in the marital sexual act and then engage another act in order to change the meaning of that act. And this is the objective sin, because that act against the marital act makes it non-marital and anti-love. And it's a hard message, I understand. But how we live it is different than understanding what's happening and what the argument is. Certainly um, understand what you mean. It's very hard without Christ to understand this message. It certainly is. Those yeah. who are find, those watching this are probably um, following the church um, and, and going to church and, and praying for their spouse to sort of follow them as well. And uh, what, yeah. what tips could you give these people who are really praying yeah. for their, their partner? This, this is the heart of what's Joyful Ever After is our ministry, is that these kind of conversations aren't conversations that can be accomplished at 10,000 feet. You're not going to drop a pamphlet. You're not going to drop, you know, a talk or bring a speaker in and you'll get a few converts and it's just because they were ready and prepped before I got there. 
most people, this is very deeply, deeply personal. It's hard to find anything more personal than our sexual decisions, our sexual identity. So we need trusted community. We need a group of people that the trust has already been established. So when I tell you something difficult, I tell you something crucial, I'll tell you something that hurts. You're not so focused on me as hurting you as much as being hurt and realizing how do I fix this? Because the trust is there, this, this, this confidence, confide. We have faith that what you're telling me is hard, but I need to know that. And you tell people those things when you love them. Same thing with coming to this truth about contraception. It upends everything we think we know about ourselves, about our relationship with God as believers, about our marriage. It tests and challenges all of that. So this is a tender, tender place if we really want conversion, conversion of heart, not just of act. But also remember that the, the, the spiritual life goes through necessary uh, levels of maturity, the first being the purgative. And that purgative level of stages that is that neophyte that's predominant. We have this through our, old, our whole life, but we dominate on the purgative because we need to purge out those things that are not of God. And it's hard. We have to, to give up all these things that we were clinging to for our own happiness. And we give these things up for God. And we purge those things. just like sin makes us dumb and makes us stupid, where, you know, we, have, we actually start to see things more clearly and we start to move into this illuminative phase, as the saints would call it, where lights come on. And we was the same world, the same life, the same, but we actually can see it for what it is. And the more we purge out what is evil, we're able to grasp and see what is good. And that leads us to this other more mature stage that includes purgative and illuminative, but it's this unitive stage where everything what matters is communion, union with God, union with my spouse, union as friends, giving myself, receiving myself as a gift to other people. And this is mature. This takes decades. This is this isn't a decision. So how do we help these couples in a practical way? We build intimate friendships. We build trusted friendship with them. You don't jump in and tell somebody that and maybe you do. I mean, I'm not going to tell what, what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. You, you do what you're going to do. But for the for normative, you have to hear this from someone that you trust. I've heard from many women who are converted, not by a priest, so many by priests, but by doctors. Where a doctor would say this and they go, Oh my God, not get mad at the doctor, but realize, oh, okay, well, or a trusted priest. That's it. But where are all the deeper connections? They're friendships. It's couple to couple. Hearing from another couple, yeah, we should think the same way. Oh, this was the hardest time of my life. But when we did this, here's where it got. It's, it's the charisma, right? It's the, the story of how it was before I met Christ, what happened, how I met Christ, and how Christ changed my life. And those stories have to be couple to couple. They have to be person to person. They have to be in a trusted environment. If someone's hearing this right now and is convicted or angry, angry is, anger is a good sign that this is a disquiet in your heart. You're not at peace with it. Um, my, my advice is honestly to take it to prayer with an open heart. Say, Lord, show me what's true. Show me what to do. I'm scared. I think I'm right. Show me what to do. And the question, the way that, that the Lord as a father will answer that is, uh, asking you not how far can you go, not how much you can get away with. The questions change. It becomes how much more can you love? How many new ways can you be in a gift and receive others as gift? And the contraception question really is like in terms of math, it's like the calculus of your math development. Some people never take calculus. You know, they never <laughs> show trying to get through algebra and, and geometry and, you know, but in the spiritual life, particularly in marriage, as a school of love, um, it's still on the curriculum.
This is, look, what we've touched on is quite hard to talk about for many reasons. As you said, we need time and intimacy and, and to understand the big picture. And, uh, and now we haven't um, got the time to sort of break it open. So I highly encourage people to, to get to the summit. Um, who, who is the audience for this summit? Yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. Thanks for asking that, Charbel. Yeah. This is honestly something I've never seen before, and we intentionally built it this way. Imagine if you could take 60-plus uh, faithful Catholic couples, not perfect by any means. In fact, the struggle is sort of a requirement for them to, to be in it, and they invited you into their marriage. Uh, no matter if they're married four years or 40 years or 50 years, we even have uh, widowers who are witnessing to the end of, of the marriages and death. What if you could get a glimpse of, you know, three, four, five dozen marriages, diverse, all countries from all around the world, including Australia, got uh, two great couple, three great couples uh, from Australia that are, that are witnessing. And you're thinking about getting married. You're married and having a struggle. You're married and wondering what's the next level. You're having a, a joyful marriage and you're wondering what else is there. Uh, your marriage failed. It fell apart. You're separated, divorced. Uh, you're in an abusive situation, addiction. I mean, the realities of marriage here, um, too many kids you feel, too few kids you can't feel. All these things that we all struggle with at some point in our marriage or we know someone who has, you have now in this rich weekend an ability to hear from couples heart to heart, not just these professional speakers. They're getting, they're getting challenged now because their spouse is here and now they're presenting as a couple. You've got the non-speaking, usually non-public spouse who's like, no, 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 that's my spouse's thing, you know? And now they're like, okay. And so the whole, I've been watching previews of these, these talk, and I am, I am beyond humbled by what people are sharing as couples. So this, this is really for anyone in any part of the orbit around marriage, whether you're single, whether you're planning to be married, whether you're about to be married, just married uh, in those early years, middle years with kids or later years, you know, and the, the empty nest, this is an unprecedented in my my lifetime chance to see a beautiful diversity of faith couples in order to find out where your story fits in, to be accepted, to be drawn in, and really to to, to reset your expectations for marriage, not just getting the marriage you want from the marriage you have. That's the teaser. The real is entering into your desires for marriage being just the beginning of God's plan for your joyful marriage. So you're going to see just a beautiful diversity of couples who are now, in a way, sharing marriage in a real way. Joys and sufferings, losses, health issues, name them. Um, and it's it's free. What a what a glimpse. Now, I hope people buy the all-access pass. We have some additional content that um, we stuffed it like, you know, St. Nicholas bag here at Christmas time. But we want people to be engaged with the speakers. We've got some additional master classes that are part of you know, the week oh, wow. after we've got live sessions, um, the chance to watch these things over time instead of it's over the weekend. We really have a beautiful package in the all access pass. And we encourage people to do that. It's $49. Um, it's, you know, it's money, but this is one of those things that literally less than, than out going out for dinner. Yeah, actually, I don't know Australia prices for dinner, but That's maybe nice. getting some, getting some of that, uh, that, uh, clone a kilo wine and some, you know, some <laughs> steak on the barbie. But That's my point right. is it's, it's affordable. It's there. And we want people to, to, to allow this, this witnesses really to transform their own marriages. And this is available around the world. So people can from anywhere around, around the world can, can, can log in and, and, and watch and, and be inspired. So 
Wow, well, one exciting. of the things, Bill, if I can just add too, when you what? sign up, there's actually an invitation to a private Facebook group that was on Facebook. Okay. And testimonies, I think we've already got almost 4,000 couples on the private Facebook page who were just introducing themselves and the stories will just just blow you away. So yeah. an opportunity again to start building this community on a private Facebook page. Love it. So th this is this is what you're saying. Yeah, we're going to have a community that goes on beyond this summit, yes. which is quite quite interesting. So we're, we're very privileged and, and blessed to be partnered in this way uh, to, to, to bring the summit. And uh, thank you for the effort you've been putting in to getting that ready. I know there's still a lot of work to go in, in making sure everything runs smoothly. And, <laughs> Um, minus nine days. And if I can invite Damon, would you mind closing in prayer for all of us uh, and all the viewers? I would. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, as your sons and daughters, we stand in reverence and awe and really delight of what you trust entrusted to us, what you've given us. Help our feeble efforts because they're your children's efforts. We want to please you. We want you to be delighted in us. We want to see that delight through your eyes. Bless all the work of Perusia Media. Bless all those who are listening. Bless all those who are watching. Lord, help in our Catholic Marriage Summit to bring together couples in a way that never was possible before. All these things, Lord, we pray with an expectant and joyful hope. Our Lady, Queen of the Family, pray for us in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.